0: here you go rattled that's the nothing personal word of the day it is wednesday october 18th 2023 are you with me on the double entendre rattled as in rattlesnake diamondbacks rattled down 2-0, getting crushed by the Philadelphia Phillies. If you're not paying attention to the postseason, I get it because it hasn't exactly been compelling in terms of competitive, but it has been unbelievable in terms of performance. Last night was no exception. We're seeing records on a nightly basis by the Philadelphia Phillies. We are seeing a level of pitching and hitting by the Philadelphia Phillies that we have not seen before. Ever find me another postseason right now during the show live on Nothing Personal with David Samson YouTube channel. If you're watching this, if you're listening to this, go ahead, Google it. Find me a pitching staff where the starters through the first eight game of the postseason have a one plus ERA with fifty one strikeouts and four Ks. Find me a bullpen with a one ERA. Find me a team that has 17 home runs in their last five home games. That's the most ever. Find me a team that has 15 home runs in the last four games total. That's a record. The reason I'm asking you to find this is that I made a career out of my dislike of teams in the National League East. Always Mets number one, of course then phillies number two for sure sometimes number one when the mets weren't good and the phillies were good and we were trying to be good phillies could move to one nationals down the list braves the braves are the braves they were just always good last night i'm watching the game and it's aaron nola pitching and i'm thinking about teams with starters like nola and wheeler who came back from last offseason postseason when they were dominant and brought their team all the way to the World Series just to lose in six games to the Astros. And then the regular season was fine. They were good, serviceable. But aces, they were not aces. Then they come into the postseason, and they're simply unhittable. And having that one-two punch in a postseason series by itself is generally enough to win a series. Then when you put offense with it, it becomes that much more difficult. Then when you put the, oh my God, Joe Girardi tells you that Philadelphia doesn't have a good bullpen. How can I win without a good bullpen? Our bullpen stinks. Now, when you put the pitching starting with the offense record-breaking, put them with a bullpen that doesn't give up anything. How exactly do you suspect they're going to lose a game? So we had the Phillies as our pick of the day and people were wondering why are they not favored by more i think they were minus 160 or something what, what's the story with that and the answer is the diamondbacks have shown through this postseason before game one of the philadelphia series having swept the brewers having dispatched of the dodgers perfect 5-0 record somehow they were putting together with zach Gallen and merrill kelly a team that could hang with the Phillies. If you are running an underdog team, you tell your team, hey, just stay quiet. Let's just get four wins out of seven games. Do nothing to in any way incite the other team. That's when you're an underdog. And the Diamondbacks are clearly underdogs. Everyone's choosing them to win and to lose in four games or five games. Okay. Merrill Kelly, the starting pitcher last night for the Arizona Diamondbacks, decided in his off-day presser, where starting pitchers meet the media, he decided to give a line where he said, you know, I expect Citizens Bank to be loud. They're a good home field. That's all anybody's talking about. But I've never pitched there, but there's no way it's going to be as loud as Marlins Park. Marlins Park, where there was the WBC with Venezuela. That's the loudest I've ever heard it. I'm the president of the Phillies, and I'm looking and I'm saying, we did it. I make sure that I call down to the clubhouse. I get that video. I play that video on the monitors in the clubhouse. Then I choose a player to respond. The Phillies chose Trey Turner. Trey Turner gets interviewed and says, when asked, because of course they're going to be asked, because you can plant the questions, asked, his answer is, let's see what he thinks after the game. I'm the president of the Diamondbacks. I can't talk to the starting pitcher the day he starts. That is a basic rule. Some pitchers were grumpier than others. Jose Fernandez was okay with talking the day he started. He didn't care about any of that. But almost every other pitcher you stay away from. When you get into the clubhouse, the starting pitcher is sort of alone on the road. The starting pitcher goes on the bus with the media, the late bus versus the other players getting there earlier. When you see the starting pitcher, you just sort of look, smile, pat him in the back and then move on. So I couldn't say anything to Merrill Kelly, although I'm furious. The day after, I'm definitely gonna say something and ask him what would make him think that talking about Philly fans would be good for the team because every interview you give, every line you say, I want there to be a reason for it, a purpose, a benefit. Merrill Kelly, during his warmups for yesterday's game, is being taunted, screamed at, fans are going crazy. I'm speaking to my offense and I'm saying, could you do me a, a solid, could you please score for Merrill Kelly in the top of the first? The Phillies fans, we got to get them out of the game before Kelly gets out there. Just whatever you have to do, I need you to score in the top of the first. Yesterday's game, no scoring in the top of the first. Kelly comes out, fans are screaming, going crazy. Second batter of the game, Trey Turner, the guy who said, let's see what happens at the end of the game. What does he do? As though it's from a movie, he hits a home run. One nothing Phillies. Just like that. Now, to be fair, Merrill Kelly settled down, gave up two runs, another home run to Schwarber, and then another home run to Schwarber. 3 nothing. gets pulled. The reliever who comes in, a guy named Mantiply. All of a sudden, the runs multiplied, and it was a blowout. So the Phillies won the game 10 nothing. We used to have a uh, side note, Coca. We had a 10-run rule in the front office. We'd be in the box watching the game. And our 10-run rule was that anytime our team was either up 10 runs or down 10 runs, we could either A, have a cocktail, or B, have an ice cream. And it was your choice. You didn't have to drink, you didn't have to eat ice cream, but you were allowed to do one of those two things. When you go to every game, you really don't want to have ice cream every game because you weigh 700 pounds. You certainly don't want to have a drink every game because then you'd be drinking every day all year. But the 10-run rule is the 10-run rule. When the Phillies went up 10-0, that's what I was thinking about – I don't think it ever happened to me during a playoff game. I wonder whether I would violate that during a playoff game, but certainly during a regular season game, spring training, by the way, side note, no rules at all. It can be one nothing and you can have ice cream, have a drink, have whatever you want It's spring training. So my takeaway from last night's game that you should pay attention to is that the Philadelphia Phillies until proven otherwise may never lose again. That's how good they are on both sides of the ball. And who has the ability or the right to walk into that buzzsaw? The Rangers or the Astros? We've got a game three tonight. And if you're a Mets fan or you're a Nats fan or you're a Dodgers fan or you're a baseball fan, you're paying close attention, guess who's pitching for the Texas Rangers? Mighty Max Scherzer. Yep, he's back, hasn't pitched since September 12th had that problem with his Terrace major, minor, over, under, to the left, to the right, What? That's me trying to cover up what the name of the injury was because when I was in baseball, I never heard of that injury and now they call it something. What it really means is his arm is about to fall off. He rehabs himself back. He declares himself ready to be healthy, throws a couple bullpens, throws a simulated game, says to Bochi, I'm good. The GM, Chris Young says, hey, Max Scherzer at 50%, otherwise we'd have to go with Heaney. And in a seven game series, we need four starters, not three. And we could get Heaney to maybe start game four. But if we start game three, then we're really having some depth issues, but we're up to nothing. But the Astros are better on the road than they are at home. We've got to win game three. Hey, Max, you're starting game three. As announced before the Rangers won the first two games in Houston. It's pretty unbelievable, the fact that they're giving him the ball. I'm in, but let me give you a few things to watch for tonight's game, because you're gonna hear a lot of pregame shows. You're gonna hear a lot of people talking on X today or on Twitter today. And what they're gonna say is, the Texas Rangers and their offense, they're too good to be true, ignoring the Philly offense. The Houston Astros, just are, you're gonna see the stats of Altuve, of Bregman, of Tucker. They're five for 22, two for 25, one for 23. They've been terrible. They're Betts and Freeman. This is it, it's like the Dodgers losing to the D-backs. That's where the Astros are. You're gonna see that Max Scherzer, Cy Young Award, World Series winning pitcher, as though he's the Max Scherzer of old, but you're gonna hear that narrative. You're gonna hear that the Rangers bullpen going from Sabor's to Chapman to Leclerc lights out. How it's been incredible. You'll hear that one. Then you're gonna hear Bochi out managing Dusty Baker in the battle of old school managers. You're definitely gonna hear that one too. How important it is that these managers are not using analytics. They're using their eyes. They've got thousands of wins between them and look, it goes to show you that the old way is the right way. You're gonna hear all that. Every single thing I just said is basically poppycock. Here's what to look for tonight. When you are Texas, you are going in with a game plan. You know that Scherzer is a, oh, Coca, give me the word. Give me the word when someone is a, a, a fake, a stalking horse, you know very well that they're hurt, they can't play, but you put them out there like Willis Reed in game seven of the championship series with the Knicks. He limps out, everyone's happy. He takes the tip and then he leaves the game. Somebody who gets one at bat but can't run. Max Scherzer is a blank. I can't think of the word. You can't think of the word. At David P. Sampson, get me the word. Get me the word. Max Scherzer is not gonna be in the game in the fourth inning. If Max Scherzer gives you three innings, it's a damn miracle. And what the Rangers are hoping is that between Scherzer and Dunning, and they haven't announced this, but here's how I gathered that Dunning is the backup for Scherzer. Because in post-game of game two, when Bochy was going through what his pitching options were, he mentioned Heaney, he didn't mention Dunning as though he knew he couldn't go to Dunning in game two because he had to save Dunning in case he needed him as the backup for Scherzer in game three. So this is what I deduced. I could be totally wrong. I have no inside information. I'm not Rappaport. I'm not passing, thank the Lord. So I really don't know the answer. Rosenthal may, but he wouldn't give it to me anyway. So what I'm looking for and what you should be looking for is how quickly Dunning comes in the game. Because if you think that Scherzer is going to get to the seventh in order for Bochi to use his back three guys in the bullpen only, then you're mistaken. The second thing you're going to look for, because we're going to talk about it, is this guy, Christian Javier. He's the starter for the Astros. He is clearly behind Verlander, behind Valdez, ahead of Rakiti, who will start game four. Except in the postseason, he is a dagger Him pitching a game three, he's better than any game three starter of any other team, including Max Scherzer. So watch for that. The next thing I want you to focus on is how important it is to score early for the Astros. Because what the Astros are saying is, we're better on the road, we're more comfortable on the road. They were like 51 and 30 on the road. Thrilled to be in a hotel room in Texas. We stayed, when we played Dallas, Coca, we stayed right near a uh, a Six Flags amusement park. I can't think of the hotel. I can't think of the amusement park. I can only think of that it was right near, like close enough that I thought about going, but didn't when we were playing Texas, which wasn't all that often because of interleague. In any case, Astros are happy. They probably grabbed some In-N-Out Burger on the way from Houston to Dallas. And the thing about the Rangers and how streaky they are, the Astros know this, All you gotta do is win one game. You win game three in Arlington, and all of a sudden, you could sweep them and go back to Houston up 3-2. So for everyone saying that this series is over, I tell you, it's far from over. So they're my pick today. As you may imagine, we're going with Javier and the Astros over Scherzer. And the Rangers. Last night we gave you the Phillies, so we're 148 and 149. We are climbing out of the hole, Coca. God, it's tough. And every time we climb up, we fall down. Then we get right to the top. It's like having a 10-point deficit in the NBA. You crawl back. You get to down two points, three points. And then there's a 6-0 run by the other team. And you're back down double figures. And then you have to do it again. That's how I feel this season's gone with Picks of the Day. Sponsored by? Okay. One of you went on davidsampsonpodcast.com. Thank you for going on the website, checking out our website, buying merch, checking out the merch. Someone sent a p- crazy picture, Coca. Uh, someone was wearing a nothing personal uh, shirt and was asking whether or not we were gonna have horse hockey hoodies. I love where your head's at. Coming up here in the next couple of weeks, as the weather gets colder in most parts of the world, not in Florida, We're gonna have a horse hockey hoodie as well as a brand new shirt right in the beginning of November. So look for that. Thank you for all the merchandise you're buying and everything you're doing. I appreciate that. In addition, I love the questions you're asking. Today's question, courtesy of the movie Half-Baked, made me smile. Coca? You know what I want. I want to talk to Samson so you want to talk to Samson hello David hello I like that is it's a good start you guys are picking up on that the Yankees are bringing back Boone true and the Dodgers are bringing back Roberts true just announced yesterday that the Dodgers will be bringing back David Roberts the Yankees haven't made an announcement but It is understood that my wait to see is going to be wrong. When I said that one of Boone or Cashman will not be back if the Yankees don't make the playoffs, I'm not taking the loss on it quite yet. We'll see what happens if they're there in spring training. But so far, it looks like Boone is coming back and Roberts is coming back. So far, there's no question in your question. You always fired your managers for not winning when your team should not have. Guilty as charged. And now teams are bringing back managers who didn't win when they should have. Please explain. It's one of the best questions we've had, Coca. I want to make sure that you have it and I want to make sure you hear it. You always fired your managers for not winning when your team should not have, and now Teams are bringing back managers who didn't win when they should have. It sounds like a Carole King lyric. So thank you for that question. I would like to explain. Let me explain. No, no, it's way too long. Let me sum up. I never wanted you to think that it was my fault for having a low payroll because I wasn't doing enough to bring in more revenue in Miami. I never wanted you to think that it was the owner's fault or my fault for being involved in any baseball decisions that were causing us not to win the way we should have. I never wanted you to think that I had anything to do with a bad draft pick or a bad trade or any sort of bad result. So in order for you to not think that it was me I had to tell you that it was somebody else who was the problem. So as president of the Marlins, I'd always say, let's just fire the manager. And then we can stand up and say, look, we need a new voice. We're going a new direction. The reason why we're not winning games, don't look at me. Look at the team we gave. Yes, our payroll's not that high, but look at the players we have. The manager's gotta do more with that. We've gotta recapture the glory of 2003. We are chasing Amy, we've got this. And if that's not our guy, we're gonna bring in this guy. This guy's too nice, we're bringing in a prick. That guy's not nice, so we're bringing in the nice guy. Back, forth, back, forth. All of it meant as sleight of hand. Like the shell game, while you weren't looking You were having someone to blame, and it wasn't me. Now, for those of you back in the day remembering what it was like for me in Miami for those 16 seasons, I did get my share of blame about what was going on with the stadium, what was going on with using public money, what was going on with all things off the field. But the truth is, the majority of the time, the discourse was around, wow, this team isn't good or this manager isn't good. Fine by me. look back on that and realize how absurd it is. Realize that firing all those managers, it was silly. Truly no reason to do it. I should have valued consistency more than change. I should have not blamed and just worn it the way a team president should. That said, you're comparing it to now the Yankees and the Dodgers. I view the Yankees and Dodgers as examples of teams where they're trying to prove their consistency, show you how calm they are, show you how smart they are, and it's actually to the detriment of those teams' performance. So hear me out. If you think I'm on the extreme firing a manager all the time, and you believe in the horseshoe theory, where two extremes are actually closer together than you may think, Do you not think that doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, which we've already told you is insanity, and in sports, when you've got multiple years, multiple examples, multiple data points, where you are not living up to your potential, change is required. The extreme is when it happens year after year after year, the way it's happened with the Yankees, year after year after year, the way it's happened with the Dodgers, how do you not make the change? So Andrew Friedman is the president of baseball operations for the Dodgers. He gets to say internally in his own mind, Dave Roberts won a World Series with us in the COVID shortened year. Therefore, I can ignore what happened prior to that. I can ignore what's happened since that because he got us the ring in 2020. He gets a pass, it's only been three years. That's his rationalization. Hal Steinbrenner gets to say, I'm never gonna be my dad. I've gone to therapy and I have made it very clear that the way George Steinbrenner fired managers and got rid of players and fought with players, fought with managers, I will not be that George Steinbrenner. I will be the one who's cool, calm, collected. So he's trying so hard not to be George that he doesn't wanna make a change. Brian Cashman, who's been there since I was two years old, also doesn't want to make a change because he believes that Aaron Boone is the right person because Aaron Judge came out and said, hey, it's not Booney's fault that we didn't win this year and we didn't make the playoffs. But Cashman should know, and Hal should know that Cashman knows, and Hal should know that Hal knows that that's what players do publicly. That's what they do privately. It is very rare for a player, even in the absence of the camera, to go to the front office and say, wow, I want a coup. I want to get rid of this manager. In the NBA, it happens from time to time if you're Kevin Durant. In Major League Baseball, it rarely, if ever, happens. So it is necessary for the Yankees to self-evaluate, but instead what they say is, hey, we were just in the LCS, we're in the playoffs every year except for 2016 and 2022, or 2023, excuse me, why is it that we would think managerial change is necessary. We just gave them extensions last season, and this season, it just wasn't our year. We can dismiss it as that, let's not kowtow. That may be not the expression. Let's not be agreeable to the masses who are calling for someone's head. I get both sides. I get why I did what I did, And I get why the Dodgers and Yankees are doing what they're doing. The expectations going into a season don't matter as much as you think to what front offices decide to do with their managers. Because at the end, they're evaluating where the team is. What you're supposed to do if you're good is evaluate where the team was supposed to be according to your evaluation, and then where the team ended up at the end of the 162. And if your evaluation is different from where the team ended up, you then go to the next level of inquiry, which is is it because we misevaluated or because the players underperformed what we expected and they reasonably should have done? And only then, when you say, hey, we didn't misevaluate, the players underperformed, the manager underperformed, then you can start assigning blame. All of which is made more complicated by the fact that the manager's role has been lessened. It is not as important as it used to be. The front office is way more involved in what the managers are doing. Back when I was firing managers, we would get involved, we would know what was happening, but rarely would we dictate. These days, every day, lineup, pitching, rotation, It's all dictated by the front office, which makes blaming a manager a little bit harder. You can scapegoat them, but then you're dealing with the possibility of PR going against you because the manager can use his sources and get it out there. I have no idea why I was fired. All I did was press a button. Although managers then may not want to do that because they don't want people to think that they're only pressing buttons. Think about what happened this year with teams that were supposed to be good and weren't good. You asked me Dodgers-Yankees. There's plenty of others. Let's stay in the AL East and just mention the Toronto Blue Jays. You guys, everybody went nuts on John Schneider for taking out Berrios in that game. And guess what? He didn't get fired. You know why? Not his call. I appreciate that question. I really do. That one made me laugh. So I go through, I, I monitor. I do read all your questions, I really do. Thank you, whoever you are. I, I don't think it was John Cocktustin, but it could have been. It could have been Dr. Rosen Rosen as well. All right, we come back, we're gonna review a movie. I've been waiting to see it. And I just had a moment here, Coca. Have I reviewed this before? I can't believe it. Have I reviewed Mission Impossible? On either this show or Levitard? I'm totally blanking. Well, either way i'm going to review it when we come back and then we're going to talk about what to do and what not to do when you've just retired and you may or may not want to work again we'll be right back the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same game parlays live betting odds boosts and so much more. Don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks kansas 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction when ontario bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance cdkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you for rating, reviewing, subscribing, telling your friends all about what we do every day at 8 a.m. I'm in studio doing pre and post game for CBS Sports HQ. That's at night, then in the morning, right back live. This is the grind of October and I love it. Try to ignore the bags beneath yeux. I don't know how to get rid of those exactly. Maybe hot compresses, lemons, cucumbers. Anybody, Mrs. Maisel? So I haven't been to a theater in a very long time. I've been waiting for Barbie to stream, and then it was available, watched it, reviewed it. Waiting for Mission Impossible to stream, watched it, about to review it. Waiting for Oppenheimer to stream, will watch it and then review it as soon as it comes out, which hopefully will be soon. It will certainly be pre-Oscars. So Mission Impossible became available. Mission Impossible to me is candy in the middle of a long day. It is lying down in your bed at the end of a long day. It's coming home after a long road trip. Mission Impossible is comfort to me. That's what it represents. I have been there from the beginning. Dun, 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 dun. dun. The ripping off of the face, John Voight, the first one. I have argued constantly about Tom Cruise and how he is an absolute icon, maybe the most iconic of my life. And you're gonna say that's impossible. What about Dustin Hoffman? What about Jack Nicholson? What about Daniel Day-Lewis? What about Robin Williams? Yes, I agree. I can go through a list of amazing actors. How about Tom Cruise and his ability to become in, in light of, despite some personal craziness, and I am no Scientologist. Believe you me, Elron is not my man. Tom Cruise started his risky business. Tom Cruise is now the greatest action actor of our entire generation. Except he also does movies like A Few Good Men, like Eyes Wide Shut, some movies like Vanilla Sky, if you look at his catalog it's remarkable now forget that he's a control freak he's finally on this mission impossible six an actual uh, executive producer it's it's his production he wants you to go to theaters remember the whole thing get back to theaters because he makes money if you go to theaters he's the one who in his 60s is doing his own stunts riding a motorcycle off a cliff and putting that into a skydive that's him I tip my cap mission impossible is sort of difficult to follow everyone's back everyone's older including tom cruise so the normal tom cruise running like in the firm every movie there's a scene of him running he likes running and it's really him running top gun we haven't even mentioned that what a catalog tom cruise may be up there with who you'd bring to a desert island i was having this debate in the studio coca I think I'm gonna do this as a top five list with Adnan on Levitard. Top five movie catalogs you'd want with you on a desert island. Tom Cruise's catalog is probably gonna be in that top five. So there's scenes of him running and all I kept thinking watching Mission Impossible is, golly, I'm still doing marathons, I'm still doing crazy challenges, but I look in the mirror and I'm I'm old now. I am old AF. Tom Cruise is looking old, and he's got the power of Hollywood behind him. And they didn't do any Irishman stuff on him. They may have, but I don't think they did. And I am giving him mad props because he's doing stuff that most people his age are not doing. But here's the problem. When do you become the creepy uncle at the bar? You know what I mean. When you are too old to be at the college bar, or too old to be at a bar where young people are hanging out and they're looking at you like, hey, gramps, hey, can I buy you a drink? No, I appreciate that, we're good here. At what point is doing action movies not a good look and becomes weird? Because already looking at Marcellus Wallace, Ving Rhames, and doing everything he does and Simon Pegg doing everything he does, it's fine. It's not ideal but it's fine. Like I don't wanna see Robert Downey as Iron Man in his 70s, but for whatever reason, it's Tom Cruise's mission to keep doing this and I'm gonna keep watching it. So here's what I suggest. If you wanna see a movie where you will never be bored for even one second and you will have two and a half hours plus of just absolute joy and awe and shock, go see Mission Impossible and the good news is it's dead reckoning. It's only part one. There's going to be a part two. Hell yeah. Do you know what? There won't be a part 2 to? Two, 2 A two-two. There will not be a part two to the Trevor May conversation that he had with himself yesterday. Maybe it was two days ago. I didn't get to it yesterday. I can't let another day go by without bringing this up. Trevor May is a mediocre pitcher sort of a journeyman. He was ended his career on the A's last year, pitched for the Mets for a hot second. He's fine. He's a piece. He does not have enough money to retire, and he's figuring out what to do with the rest of his life. Now, I shouldn't say that. You know what, Coca? I don't want to be that guy. He may have enough money to retire. Who's to say who needs money to retire and what they need? I actually don't want that to be what the audience thinks. So wipe it. Here we go. Four Eight, Trevor May was a successful baseball player. He made the major leagues. He had a career. His career ended with a good season in Oakland last year, ended up being effective, but decided he was going to retire and move on with the rest of his life. When athletes retire, they're young. It's not like they're 65 years old. Athletes have next chapters, whatever those next chapters are. What you want to do when you leave one job and go to another, is you wanna try not to go scorched earth? You wanna try not to burn all the bridges that you have built behind you? Because it turns out that that can be very lonely. Trevor May engaged in not quite Kurt Schilling level scorched earth, burnt bridge stuff, but close enough. Listen to what he said while announcing his retirement the team dude i tried to get a sell shirt it didn't get here fast enough sell it man let someone who actually like takes pride in the things they own own something there's actually people who give a shit about the game let them do it take mommy and daddy's money somewhere else dork so that's one thing i really struggled with this year was not just eviscerating that guy do what you're gonna do bro you're you're whatever you're a billionaire they exist you guys have all this power you shouldn't have any because you haven't earned any of it but anyway whatever it is what it is reality is you got you got handed everything you have and now you're too soft to sit and stand in front or, or take any responsibility for anything you're doing that's Trevor May talking about John Fisher the owner of the Oakland A's and he's talking about you know I'm gonna change my approach here, actually. I've been thinking about this segment overnight. I've been thinking about it since yesterday. I'm gonna change it a little bit here, Coco, okay? Because I realize, having a little bit of self-awareness, that there's an audience that may be looking at me and saying, of course you're gonna attack what Trevor May said, because you are exactly that. You you are a Nepo baby. You are the son stepson son of the owner of the team you had everything given to you you earned nothing you did nothing fine if that is how you want to view me i'll wear that because everything you've said is mostly true the difference is you don't know me so you don't exactly know what i did as president of the marlins and executive vice president of the expos You don't know exactly what I was dealing with, both from a family standpoint, professionally. You don't know what my job was or whether or not I did it well, because you're not the boss of me and you weren't evaluating me or paying me. But there's no winning that. I cannot possibly explain to you, hey, just because you get an opportunity, the way Bill Pullman's son gets an opportunity to be in a movie, the way Coppola's daughter gets a chance to be a director, the way nepotism works, I'm not saying it's fair, I'm just saying it is. And nepotism, the thing about nepotism is that if you're not good at what you do, you don't get the second shot, you just get the first. Now that may be unfair because there's so many people who would be amazing who don't get the first. There's nothing I can do about that, except be humble about getting the first and working my ass off to make sure I get the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and 10th. But what I don't want to stand for are people who form opinions without full knowledge. If you know me and you talk to me and you learn about me and learn about my past, learn about my present, learn about why things were done, and you still walk away and saying, what a smug ass. What a guy who doesn't deserve to have ever done anything. I tip my cap and I go on my way. If you don't have that opportunity, I ask you to question why you say the things you say or do the things you do. Trevor May doesn't have the first idea about John Fisher or why John Fisher is not out front, why he doesn't like speaking to the media. He doesn't realize that in owner's meetings, there are conversations that are had where they don't like owners speaking to the media. It is always best, and it's in the owner's handbook, let other people speak. Have a president who's front facing. Let someone else be unpopular. Owners by definition won't be popular. You'll always be told you're a billionaire, we don't care if you're making money or losing money, sign that player, do that, do this. Let someone else be in front. Let your baseball people do their job. Trevor May has no idea about what happened with the gap, whether or not it's possible that John Fisher took the gap and made it from small to big. There are plenty of sons who work with fathers, daughters who work with mothers, who take a business that is great and make it incredible take a business that's okay, and make it great. They had the opportunity, but they had to work to do it. Trevor May isn't aware of the stadium situation in Oakland. He's not aware of the stadium situation in Vegas. And he uses his platform to try to tell you that you should sell the team and that you are a bad guy because you're not out front. I take exception to that. And the reason I take exception is that all Trevor May had to do is what half of my players did and why I had such a good relationship with them. Just come talk to me, be around. Players and executives do talk. Players know owners. Ask the players who played for Jeffrey Loria what they thought of Jeffrey Loria. None of them would say what Trevor May said about John Fisher, if you make yourself available to a player or a player asks and wants to get to know a president or an owner, it's going to happen. It's bad for business to have an employee go public to say these things. And baseball is a closed fraternity. And I say fraternity and I don't mean to make it sound it's about sex, but it is sort of sexist. It's closed. Trevor May will not work in baseball. He will not work in the commissioner's office. He will not work for any team. His only chance of being in the industry is working for the union or having a podcast or some sort of show where he is out on his own. I get that. Part of nothing personal is that I know I don't wanna be back in the game because I'm telling you truths about people and about things and stories And some people aren't happy about that. The difference is Trevor May was telling you stories and telling you things that he doesn't actually have firsthand knowledge of. That's where I disagreed with what he did. So what you may have expected me to say about Trevor May being a player talking about an owner, no, I didn't satisfy you, did I? Because I'm not upset that Trevor May uses a platform to say things. Just make sure you know what the hell you're talking about. Did you see that NBA news? I'm gonna close the show with this quick story because I am, uh, people have it a little wrong. When you have an asset, you have to maximize your asset. The Houston Rockets traded Kevin Porter. Kevin Porter is the player, we talked about him on the show, the one who was charged with felony, beating his felony assault. He strangled his girlfriend. His girlfriend came out and said, no, he never hit me, it's ridiculous. I don't know what anyone's talking about, but the NBA's investigating and we told you the Rockets are not going to ever play him again, the Rockets were able yesterday to trade him to the Thunder. And people were a bit up in arms saying, how could the Oklahoma City Thunder trade for this guy? Well, they traded for Kevin Porter and they immediately waived him. But people still say, why would the Thunder do that? How dare you? And I say, how dare a team not trade for Kevin Porter and waive him? How would you not take advantage of the fact that Houston wanted to be rid of him? I don't want him, but if I can take him and get assets in return, take advantage of Houston because they have to disassociate, and then I can totally not be associated with him by releasing him immediately, it's negligence if I don't do that. Oklahoma City is getting draft picks. They're collecting them like stamps. They have something like 15 picks, 17 picks, all in the draft over the next bunch of years, trying very hard to rebuild, and rebuilding through the draft in the NBA, that's where the power is. Think about the Milwaukee Bucks who trade away every first-round pick until I'll be 80 years old in an effort to win again with Giannis and bring in Lillard. Oklahoma City's just doing the other way, and they'll eventually be in a window where they capitalize on the draft picks, and they are a dominant organization. I absolutely have sympathy to people, to victims who believe that companies should not in any way take advantage of felons or of convicted felons or of accused felons. I understand that emotion, but when you're in a back room and your job is to build a team and your job is to win, I'm not saying you turn the other cheek and turn your back all the time I'm just saying you do it a lot of the time and you can talk yourself into anything when you run a team because the PR of trading for Kevin Porter. If Oklahoma city does it, it's one day it's poof one minute. By the time they have the draft picks that they just got from Houston. No, it'll be a footnote. It'll be a memory. Nobody will care having that ability to look forward and swallow hard today that separates good from bad front offices i'll give you a wait to see however is that not only did oklahoma city waive porter that's not a wait to see but official wait to see is when i tell you something's going to happen if it does great if it doesn't great i will revisit it no matter what his girlfriend said And she's a former WNBA player who said he never balled his fist. He never hit me. It was like a 10-second fight or something. Doesn't matter. Charges not being filed. If they're not filed, doesn't matter. Wait to see. Porter will not play one minute of one game in the NBA this season. Not a minute, not a game. Wait to see. We'll be back tomorrow, 8 a.m. Enjoy the playoffs. I'll be live on Levitard's YouTube channel in about 14 minutes. If you're watching this live, if you're listening to this, then all these shows are available for you right now. It's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes